Hello and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, the show that empowers you to wake up to your full potential and achieve your biggest goals and dreams. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and I invite you to join us each week as we share actionable strategies to take your life to the next level, as well as interview world-class experts and entrepreneurs who have achieved extraordinary goals themselves, and we ask them to give you a peek behind the curtain and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. Goal Achievers, we're here. Welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast. This is Hal Elrod. And uh, if it's your first time here, welcome. And if it's your second time here, welcome. And your third, I mean, I don't know, it doesn't matter however many times you've been here, welcome. <laughs> welcome. You're always welcome here. And uh, today I am about to enter into a conversation that is going to inspire the heck out of you. And also me, it'll inspire the heck out of us. And I know that because the woman that I am introducing you to today uh, that I'm talking with, I've known her for quite a while. I've not only seen her speak, I've seen her speak at an event, was so blown away by her message that then asked uh, her to speak at our event, at my event, the best year ever blueprint live experience. And she was actually our opening speaker this past year. And that is a sacred spot, as you might imagine, right? You know, if you're going to, whoever you're going to have open your live event and close your live event, those are like arguably the two most important careful selections. And uh, my guest today, Carolyn Colleen, was the opening speaker for our, our conference this last year, the best year of Blueprint. She set the stage. And if you don't know who Carolyn is, she is a fierce mother of three. Carolyn Colleen is an author, an international speaker, a life and business strategist, and founder of Fierce Academy. And Fierce Academy is a place for women to identify their relationship with their self-worth, to amplify their self-love, and to evolve to their next level in every area. And Carolyn's life story, which you are about to hear, is one of personal and professional transformation and triumph. She's gone from standing in a food line at the Salvation Army to becoming a PhD. And Carolyn's life purpose is to provide hope and inspire people to move from fear to focus. And I'll tell you before I bring uh, Carolyn on, the reason that I'm I'm bringing her to you. I mean, there's actually, there's, there's a lot of reasons. But for me, the, the essence, I, I try to pick kind of a theme, if I can, with uh, each guest that we have on the show. And Carolyn, to me, is just a living example of the power of the human spirit. And so if you've gone through any trauma in your life, you know, if you've overcome or endured challenges, which I mean, if you're human, right, who, who hasn't, but Carolyn is an example, like if there's anything holding you back, you know, where you've got excuses or you've got, well, I've, my life hasn't been easy and I've had to, you know, you don't know what it's been like to be me. You know what I've gone through. Carolyn is an, an example of no matter what has happened to you. You have the power within you to overcome it, to put it behind you, and to create everything you want for your life, to achieve all of your goals, as Carolyn Colleen is doing right now and has been doing for many years in her life. So, Carolyn, my friend, welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast. Hey, Hal. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I'm a, you're a lovely person and a brilliant person, and, and I'm excited for uh, yeah for this conversation. And, and like I said, I've I've had the privilege of getting to hear your story and and, and hear your message and, and see you speak and, and and share your journey. And I'm, I'm excited to share that with our audience. So let's just start. You know, kind of let's back up and start where you normally do when you share your story of, of what life was like. You know, your past life, if you will, before you you got to the point you're at today. 
Yes, thank you, Hal. So yeah, and sharing my story, it's interesting. And at the end of kind of looking back on my evolution, I look back on my life and I look at what has evolved. And you shared a little bit about what happened to you compared to what's happened for you. And my evolution began in a darker place. So my definition of love and self-love as I've evolved over the years started at a very, very young age. And my definition of love was skewed. At age four, I endured a form of attention from my overly friendly neighbor who sexually molested me starting at age four. Hmm. Now, at a very young age, four years old, so you can imagine that your definition of what love and attention is while suffering from sexual abuse and keeping secrets can be very skewed. And my definition of love continued to be skewed growing up in a household where my mother, who meant very, very well, invited people uh, who were down on their luck into our home. Hmm. And those people sought to either abuse that love and some of them also appreciated it now a few of them sought to abuse it and sought to abuse my sister and myself now out of love i protected my sister and i taught her to play hide and go seek and i taught her how to hide in our home which i grew up in an environment of hoarding so we had stuff and junk within our home as if you can think about you know, a nine-year-old child standing and having hordes of stuff with only a path from the bedroom to the bathroom. Hmm. So uh, my little sister, I would teach her how to play hide-and-go-seek. And and, and most kids you would think would be out of fun, but actually I taught her how to hide. She's eight years younger than I am, and I teach her how to hide to protect her from the people who sought to abuse us. And so my formation of love continued to be skewed and very confusing through my middle years. And on to my childhood years, when I was a teenager, we all, you know, we all had puppy love and we all kind of, you know, might have a crush or two. And if you think about it, maybe you can remember your very first crush. Do you, do you remember yeah, your first crush, Hal? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, yeah, you know. Many of them. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You know, there's an elementary school, middle school, high school. Well, I had my very first boyfriend in high school. And, you know, you have your first boyfriend, you think, oh, it's, it's going to be forever. And, and it wasn't. And that relationship, I, because of my skewed vision of what love was, I had this identification that maybe this relationship would save me from the situation and the emotional stress that I had been dealing with. But I, I had skewed expectations. And of course, as teenage love goes, uh, we broke up. And I found myself in the middle of an emergency room surrounded by providers seeking to pump the 25 sleeping pills I took in which to numb the pain. And that was from the breakup? That was from the breakup uh, combination of my, my feeling of void of love. Hmm. So yeah, I had tried to take my life at a young age as well. And when I came home from that 72-hour hold that you get put on, my sister was there. And I came home to my sister in my bedroom uh, that was no bigger than really a walk-in closet. And she was angry at me, of course, and hurt. And in that moment, when I came home to my sister, I gave her a hug and I said I was sorry. And we cried. And she said to me that never to ever leave her again. Hmm. And this was, you were how old and she was how old? 
So at that point, I was 16. Okay. She was eight. Nine. Or nine. Okay. Just, just turned nine. Got it. And in that moment, I realized that I was, you know, so caught up in all of the things and how I was leading my life with the things that had happened to me in that environment, my skewed definition of love and the void of love, that I, I realized in that moment that I was a shining star to another person. I was her light. I was her protector. Hmm. And I promised her that I would never leave again. And I definitely did not. But that didn't mean I stopped running. And I ran right into the arms of a man who reflected my self-worth. I became pregnant and married. And that was at age 19. So my spouse, he loved me so much that he would monitor my time in five-minute increments. And he, our love was so strong that he wouldn't he didn't allow me privacy so if i were to go to the bathroom on my own that might be too much time alone so he would accompany me to the bathroom our love was so undying and no one understood our love that he would keep me up at all hours of the night providing me feedback on how to be a better wife a fear provoking feedback and and i was in this world of truly believing that that was love unending self-sacrifice and suffering. Now, if I were to, you know, he monitored my time by 15-minute increments. So in order for me to get home from, you know, where I was working, it would take me generally about 12, 15 minutes. If I were to skew from that time, let's say it was instead of 15 minutes, it took me 20 minutes to get back. He had required an inspection. And upon passing that inspection, which I always did, he would reward me with his passion. Hmm. Now, he promised me that our love was so undying, and I believed it, that no one could ever love me as much as he did. No one understood our relationship. Everyone was against us. And he promised me, if I were to think of leaving, that he'd end my life and then his own, so that we could be together forever. Wow. And this was from 19, how long were you with this man? For three years. For three years. Into three years of physical, mental, sexual, psychological abuse? Yes. Yes. But that was what I thought love was. Yeah. Until my daughter was born. You know, my daughter, she was a colicky baby. And uh, if, you know, people, if you, if you may have heard of colic, many people may be familiar, but it's this inconsolable screaming. Yeah. And uh, you'll go to the doctor and the doctor says, mm, good luck. So <laughs> she screamed for two months. And I remember it vividly. At two months, I tried everything. And I was actually on autopilot because I was very scared. I was very scared because I had read probably 10 parenting books while pregnant. And I was very young. And I also wanted to do things better, have a, you know, a better experience for my daughter than I had had. And so um, I was running on autopilot, two months of her screaming. And I remember vividly about four in the morning at two months old, I was exhausted, both from my husband who would continually keep me up with arguing every night. So I was exhausted from that. And then also a child who didn't sleep. I prayed, I prayed at four in the morning and I just said, please, anyone who's listening, send me a sign. I don't think I can take much more. And in that moment, 
the sun was coming out of the sky, my daughter, she stopped crying. And she looked me in my eyes. And I got chills over my body as if she was looking into my soul, saying to me, I'm your sign. (laughs) And I remember that so vividly because that was a transformational moment. It was a moment when I realized what true love was, which is unconditional. And I realized what it wasn't, unending sacrifice and self-suffering. And a light was, was ignited within me. I knew I needed to do something. Did I know what? No, I had no idea. But I knew I had to do something. I was not going to continue the cycle of abuse. And I decided in that moment to ignite my inner ferocity and start toward a positive path in order to provide a life better for my daughter. I knew in that moment that no matter whether I would leave this situation in this unhealthy relationship for myself, no, but for my daughter, yes. Because sometimes you have to borrow the love that you have for another until your self-love catches up. And that's exactly what I did. And that's how I ended up standing in line in the Salvation Army. I was standing there, fearful for my life, afraid of the unknown, immobilized by fear, anxiety, overwhelm, and knowing that I needed to push forward in order to create a life for my daughter so I could be someone she looked up to, someone that she might get advice from one day, someone that she could be proud of. And I hustled. I found myself escaping the cycle of abuse in falling right into the circle of poverty. Hmm. Now, what? Uh, let me ask a few questions. When you were with your husband, were you stay-at-home mom full-time? Were you working? What, what were you doing uh, at that time outside of being a mom? So I was in school at first when I was pregnant, okay. and my husband convinced me to drop out of school. Uh, okay. And there's, there's wording that other, you know, people that have been in emotionally abusive relationships maybe can resonate with is, well, you're not smart enough for that. And who do you think you are? Do you think you're better than me? Kind of a thing. And so um, you convinced me to drop out of school. I did have a retail job in the mall and um, I did that. And then I also stayed home with our daughter. And then when you had that moment that your daughter ignited looking into her eyes and realizing you needed to escape this abusive relationship. What was that process like, you know, for, uh, and I think that there's lessons there, obviously, if someone is in an abusive relationship, but, you know, even if someone's in just a bad situation, they're in a bad job, like, how did you get the courage? What was the, what were the logistics like? I mean, how did you make that move? Did you disappear in the night? Like, I'm just, I I guess I'm personally curious on how that played out. You know, it, it's. Uh, I'm glad you asked that because it wasn't an overnight thing. Okay. In that moment, I knew what I needed to do, but did I leave in that moment? No. No, sure. And it was a struggle. It was a mental struggle. I had built my own mental jail. He had not locked me in the house. He had not told me that, you know, the door wasn't locked. I could leave the house. It was my own mental jail. Hmm. And I had friends. I, I At one point, I had, had friends, but I had isolated myself to be in the relationship. And my friends, it's, you know, they would say, hey, I'll come pick you up and I will take you out of that house. Hmm. And I refused. You know, it's an interesting thing because 
when you're on the outside of an abusive relationship looking in, it seems insane. It seems like, what in the world? Why don't you just get up and leave? And the thing is, is that when you're in the relationship, especially when you meet someone new, you know, when you start dating, it's not like, oh yeah, come date me. I am going to make it so that you have no friends. You think uh, horrible things about yourself and I'm also going to abuse you. That's not the sale, right? You, You get into the relationship and it's slow moving. You don't quite realize that you're in that space until it seems almost too late. And then you're and then with an empath, empathetic viewpoint of, oh, well, if I just were a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that, maybe if I just cooked the spaghetti exactly the way he liked it, he wouldn't get so angry. Or maybe if I just gave him more hugs and more understanding and more and more and more, I'll try harder tomorrow. It'll be better tomorrow. Or I know how to not make him angry. I know it's okay. I know this might not be the right situation, but nobody else loves him you know, as much. And he just needs somebody to take care of him and then he'll be better. And so it's this continuous mental struggle back and forth, back and forth. And actually my daughter was two months old when I realized that I needed to do something. And it was actually 13 months later that I left. And so that struggle of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Okay. Maybe just, you know, just one more week, he'll be better. Or maybe when she's older, it'll be a little bit better. Or, you know what? I just need to work harder it'll get better in this continuous struggle. And then also, you know, the biggest thing is not having that self-worth basis in the beginning. So as the abuse would ebb and flow and it continually get worse, I didn't notice exactly how much worse it had gotten. And uh, yes, it's quite a mental jail. So when just going in and trying to remove someone from a situation like that, it, it very, and that's why men and women, both anyone in, in an abusive relationship, they end up going back because it's all they know. Yeah. So 13 months after is how, is how long it took you to muster up the courage and make, kind of make the plan to yeah. leave? Right. Muster up the courage. Exactly. And how did you go from, I mean, you're you know, you're about to make your walk for your PhD here uh, in a few months, which congratulations, by the way, that's such a huge accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you. So proud of you. How do you go from poverty to PhD, right? That's a great title. (laughs) That's such a radical transformation and triumph and overcoming of not just, there were both internal you know, huge internal struggles, like you said, your own, what do you, how do you, what'd you call it? Your mental prison or how did My you? My own, yep, mental jail. Mental mm-hmm. jail. So you had to overcome radical internal struggles and limitations, beliefs, and, you know, and, and self-worth and all of that, and which I know now you, and that's, you've dedicated your life to helping other people do that. Uh, but you also had to overcome radical logistical challenges, right? From standing right. in line. So talk about both of those, you know, for as much as you want, but, but, but how'd you overcome the internal, which I would imagine was kind of, I don't know if I would say came first, maybe you can speak to that, but you know, you have to do both at the same time. And I'm sure it's kind of an ebb and flow back and forth, but yeah, but how do you, what were both of those processes like the overcoming the internal challenges and then actually the external logistical challenges that you were faced with? Right. Yeah. And, and there's both of those things. So there's another piece that another place that I share of where I evolved. So when my daughter spoke to me in that moment, I evolved. And I'm standing in line in the Salvation Army, and there I am, 
just you know the fear of the unknown is is just so immobilizing it can be just something that can overpower your body now there i am and i'm standing there and i'm with my daughter and i'm looking around the room and i remember it vividly bright fluorescent lights people all around and i'm looking around almost numb thinking carolyn is this your life this is not what you had planned hmm. And I needed a way now, you know, a, a very me- well-meaning person came and, you know, they could see the, the fear in my face and said to me, it's okay, Carolyn, just take one day at a time, one day at a time as my mind's whirling. And not only is it, it's like you said, the logistical piece, okay, how am I going to put food on the table? And then the emotional piece where I'm literally flashbacking now i at that point when you have ptsd and you you know you're suffering you suffer from many different things that have occurred in your life without addressing them i would flashback often sometimes i'd have a smell or a particular a smell or a person would walk by me and would flash back to a memory and that would emotionally that would just be emotionally de- deteriorating so i'm dealing with these two things and the lady who said that she meant so well One day at a time, Carolyn. And I thought to myself, man, one day at a time, one day sounds so ridiculously long. I don't know if a day is even worth it. And I need to find a new way. So I thought, hmm, can I do a half day? No, man. Okay. And I broke it all the way down to five minutes. And I thought, you know what? I can do anything that I think I can't do for five minutes. If you think about what you, maybe something you hate to do, right? Or maybe if you like, you're trying to push through something, you could probably muster up enough courage to step forward in the right direction in five minutes. So that's what I did. I broke it down to five minute increments and I'd focus on just one thing at a time. And what I did is I I took a deep breath, a pause. I focused on just one goal. And my one goal was, okay, you need to smile Hmm. because you need to keep it and fake it till you make it so that your daughter doesn't worry about what's happening. So put that smile on. That was my one goal. And then my action, and I call it my fierce action because I had to tap into my sympathetic nervous system. I had to tap into that fight or flight. I needed to be able to use that fight in order to push me in it in a positive direction to get done what I needed to get done and push the negative, the flashbacks and the, the negative things that were keeping me from getting done what I needed to get done out. And so I did that five minutes at a time and I stacked those five minutes. So five turned into 10, turned to 15. And then soon enough, I was able to get through a whole day and look back and realize, wait a minute, I do have the courage. I do have the ability to do this. So now after getting through one day, okay, I can do this. Now I can get through another day and another day. Soon enough, I'm making goals for a whole year. Hmm. Now, what I had done is I reversed engineered my first goal, my first big goal, and that was the, a goal to get out of low-income housing. Now, I registered myself into college, I readmitted myself, and then I also worked full-time, actually more than full-time, because within the circle of poverty, what's so interesting is when you are living in low-income you have food stamps, you know, trying to get food from food pantry to, in order to get enough to feed, to sustain. It's a tricky system. Mm. And it's more like, you know, the more that you try to get out of the system, the more you need the system. 
And so I hustled. I hustled hard. Well, yeah. What age was that where you enrolled back in school with your daughter, you know, being, um, being I was, mom? so I was 21. Oh, wow. 20 and 21. Yep. Okay. Yeah, let's see here. 19, 20, 21. Yep. And so I hustled and, and that was difficult because I was older than the other kids mm. and I was the only one with a child in a traditional college. And, you know, I would run, I would go from, from class to my job, fit class in, pick up my daughter, turn around, go to another job and just hustle. And I would, for five years, I slept maybe four or five hours a night wow. and I busted my butt, but I did it. And I kept resetting and I kept thinking, playing into that sympathetic nervous system of what I call fierce action, because I took those things that could potentially hold me back. The things that I was angry about, the things that shouldn't have happened, but they did. And I used them as fuel to push me forward to get me excited and to move in the right direction. So when I felt tired, when I felt, man, I just want to give up, you know, what am I doing this for? You know, all of those negative mindset things that come in when you're tired, you know, you're so tired of continually grinding, but knowing that you need to push forward in order to create something bigger, I would tap right back into that, that fierce action piece that I, that is igniting that fight mode. Let me oh. ask you this, Carolyn. You mentioned something a minute ago that uh, that I want to ask you about because I have my own way of doing this, and uh, my wife says that I'm not normal. And so I would love to hear <laughs> your perspective on it. And, and what I mean is, you mentioned that you're, you know, when you were thinking back to the the way your life was, and that it wasn't fair, right? I think a lot of us struggle with that. If bad things happen, especially in our childhood, and it's like oh, that's not fair. Like that messed me up. And I was a freaking kid, or I was, a t- or I was. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't matter what age you were, right? I mean, to be abused, to be, you know, like no one deserves that. It's not fair. It's not right. And yet, life is what it is, right? And so for me, I, you know, I have my whole "can't change it" philosophy. Like, well, if you can't change it, then there's no value in wishing that you could, in putting energy into it, in creating negative emotion, and feeling sorry for yourself or feeling like a victim, right? There's no value in that. And for me, I draw that from my story of, you know, when I was head on by the drunk driver and broke all these bones and permanent brain damage, told him to walk again. I would just like, well, I can't change it. There's no point in being depressed or sad or angry over it. So I want to hear like, what, just what language would you use to describe the way that you were able to accept the things that had happened in your childhood, in your young adulthood that weren't fair, that were downright evil, some might say, what's your process for that? How do you, if someone's listening and they're going, yeah, I had a, you know, I, I've, I've had a really bad past that, that wasn't fair and I didn't deserve it. And gosh, damn it. it you know, it's, it's, my life is, is not, you know, I've got some lingering effects that are, are really unfair as well. What's your thought? What's your advice for someone on how to overcome that? How to let things go? What I say is don't let them win. Hmm. Okay. I like that. Because when we choose a self-sabotaging action, when we choose to stay in that negative emotion, when we choose to make a negative decision that affects ourselves and our families due to something that happened, and then the meaning that we attach to what happened, they win. Hmm. That's what I mean as far as igniting that fight mode is that that's what I did. I took those people that, you know, it's not fair. It's not right. You know, it's not right to be sexually abused starting at age four. It's not right to be sexually abused by men and women. 
it's not right to you know have to learn how to navigate emotional and physical abuse however if i were to choose a negative path let's say i decided you know what screw it i'm just going to you know decide to take a path that you know i wanted to get into things that are that would destroy my soul that would make it so that all of those people that abuse me won so i decided that they would not win because if i were to choose to take up a negative act let's say like if i wanted you know stealing or you know getting into drugs or getting into you know things that destroyed me as a person and destroyed you know my daughter then those people who abused me won yeah and i decided that i'm going to prove them wrong they i am not put here on earth to be abused i am not put here to be taken advantage of i am a fighter and i'm a fierce fighter and so i decided that absolutely not i'm going to go all the way to phd and i'm going to prove all those people wrong who decided that they could maybe hold me down <laughs> and through that you know i've had 20 years of therapy yeah. i've aggressively looked after trying to be the best mom and the best person i could be in his example to my daughter because i know that the things that happened to me needed to be addressed and they needed to be worked through and being able to understand you know what happened to me and how that might affect my future decisions so i needed to be able to look those things in the face and work through them aggressively and i worked through them with the same aggressiveness that i used in order to get out of my logistical issue as far as poverty mm -hmm. and becoming a better person mentally as well and so i used the exact same fight mode and i turned that on now don't get me wrong i wanted to definitely hide many 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 times but i took that anger that i had for the things that shouldn't have happened and i used it as fuel in order to push me into an uncomfortable zone of trying to continually be better learning grow and don't get me wrong like i definitely feel that what happened was very wrong and i'm not looking to try and find there's certain pieces that i would say you know absolutely not now some people will say hey let's find the gratitude in these things you know what no <laughs> but it doesn't mean it has to eat me alive and it doesn't mean that it defines me it's a piece of me I can't take it away, yeah. but I can definitely identify it as something that can be turned into a way that can be positive. So for example, I'm extremely tenacious and resourceful. Why? Because of my upbringing, because of the things that happened to me and seeking out the things that might I might be able to find something that I can use. Does it mean I'm grateful for that? No. But it means that I can find something that I can use to better my current and my future state. So people will say, Carolyn, you are the most resourceful people, person that I know. And I'll go, you know what? That's because I figured out how to break free from the circle of poverty. <laughs> and uh, oh, you know, you're the you're the you're the happiest person that I, you know, you smile all the time, even under, you know, massive amounts of stress. And I say, Well, yeah, because you got to not only fake it till you make it, you have to fake it until you fierce it, is what I say. What do you mean by that? 
Yes, it it works. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Fake it till you fierce it. Fake it till you fierce it. Meaning, so fake it till you make it. You know, there's that saying that it, people are very familiar with. Yeah. I say fake it till you fierce it. Meaning that you've pushed into your next evolution. I look back and I look back at all of the things that I've experienced in my lifetime, and I can say, heck yeah, I did that. Yeah. And that's the fierce portion of owning my strength, owning my courage and owning that I am worthy. Beautiful. Well, you are all of those things and I love your mindset and you, you know, the, the best part about this is that you went out on a limb, you took major risks to leave your husband uh, and set an example that your daughter could be proud of. And I just want to acknowledge you for doing exactly that at a level that I don't think you could have ever even imagined you were capable of. Right. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm looking, I'm on your website right now, carolyncolleen.com about slash about looking at your beautiful daughter and your beautiful boys, your family, you are, you are very blessed. So take us a minute to talk. What do you, what are you up to now? So what are, what do you do now? And I know you have a, a, a fierce action guide to share with our listeners, which I'd love to hear a little bit about that. So if you could take, you know, take a minute or two to mention, what are you, you know, what do you do now? What are you using this PhD for? I'd love to know that. And, and where can uh, our listeners uh, learn more about you, get that guide from, that sort of thing? Yeah. So thank you. Uh, you know, it's been an awesome journey. And I went from standing in line at the Salvation Army to standing in many lines with my daughter and my two boys giving back to the community. Mm. And I've gone from seeking advice from a PhD to save my life to becoming a PhD in which to save the lives of many. And what's interesting is that I went from embracing my little girl, praying for help, to releasing my little girl at her first day of college. Hmm. And it's absolutely, it just brings a smile to my face every time I think about it, because as she's walking away and I'm trying not to cry, (laughs) I think, you know what, that little girl, she's got nothing to worry about besides getting a Target to buy ramen noodles. Yeah. And to me, that is success. <laughs> and so success, uh, huge success. Um, <laughs> it makes me, it makes me so happy as I get, I'm looking at your daughter right now and I'm thinking, wow, she's roughly your age, right? When you're right. with all of that abuse and yeah. she thanks to you, right? You, I mean, you couldn't ask for more from a mom than to protect her from that type of thing. And now, like you said, nothing to worry about except for getting ramen noodles. Which, right. That's you know. the biggest worry <laughs> she has. Right. And yeah. so I'm honored to be able to help women uh, internationally by sharing my story and creating a fierce academy, which is helping women identify their self-worth, evolve in their self-love in order to move on to their next level business, their next level relationship. Because when we get underneath understanding where our self-worth and our self-love is seated from, we can do anything. As I look back at my life, I've been able to really grow and evolve because every time that I challenged my definition of love, I then evolved and my business and my career evolved, my relationships evolved, and I was able to then understand and really lean into the, what, what this life is all about. And to be truly happy, have authentic friendships, and be able to share with other women how exactly to do that. Hmm. I love that. And so the fierce action guide, which I know is something that you give to people as, as a freebie, mm-hmm. uh, free value. Um, what we we'll talk about that? What is that? 
So that's teaching uh, what I did in the moment to uh, what I created out of survival in order to the five minutes at a time, breathing, identifying a goal and fierce action. So breaking that down and how to use that, because I created that tool back uh, out of survival and I use it today for many different reasons. So resetting and changing the direction of where I'm going just five minutes at a time. So taking a pause, identifying one goal and taking fierce action. I call it BFF, your new best friend, breathe, focus, fierce action. I love that. And where can people get that free download? I'll put that in the link. So that's at carolyncolleen.com backslash guide. carolyncolleen.com, C-A-R-O-L-Y-N-C-O-L-L-E-E-N.com forward slash guide. Awesome. Well, Carolyn, you are you're such an inspiration and uh, I've been inspired by you since I've known you and uh, I'm, I'm more inspired hearing your story again today. So thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you so much for having me, Hal. It was an honor to be here. Absolutely. Goal achievers. Uh, as I opened up the podcast today saying, I brought Carolyn on because I wanted her to share her story to inspire all of us to realize that no matter what's happened, in our past. Our past doesn't dictate our future unless we allow it to. And, uh, and Carolyn, I think, is just one of the best examples of someone who, and at such a young age, you know, to be you know, r- roughly 20, having that type of background and those challenges and that adversity and be in that situation with a uh, psychologically and physically abusive husband, and then to take that leap and take that risk and take your daughter and go out and pursue your dreams and achieve your goals. And she has done all of that. So I hope that uh, this has inspired you uh, as much as it's inspired me. And I hope that you will take that inspiration and turn it into fierce action, as Carolyn would say. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. I love you. I appreciate you. And uh, go out there and achieve your goals. And I will talk to you next week. Everybody take care. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Achieve Your Goals podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from Hal Elrod, visit halelrod.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. 